the book of Psalms chapter 51. I want to thank you for your prayers. The service on Friday night, I thought it went well. The Lord touched us and helped us and gave us liberty to preach. And I appreciate your prayers in that meeting. And uh, then there's the service coming up. Don't, uh, don't forget about that this coming Saturday. And we'll mention more about it after the service. But be much in prayer about that. But I do appreciate your prayers and need your prayers this morning that the Lord would help us in the service here today. I want to be a help and a blessing to you and give you that that the Lord has put on our heart for the service today. Psalm 51, we'll read some verses here and try our best to be mindful of the Lord and give that to you that He's given to us if you'll pray for us that the Lord would help us. Psalm 51, when you found your place, if you're able and willing to do so, we'll stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. Psalm 51, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I'd like to preach this morning if the Lord would be my helper for just a few minutes and you'd pray for me on restoration. I've uh, had this thought on my heart the last few days and feel as though it's the will of God for the service this morning to deal with this subject of restoration. Restoration is a Bible doctrine. It's not a very popular one that's preached in our day. And the reason I believe as I studied and tried to pray and seek the will of God for the service this morning and began to uh, just be quiet and allow Him to speak to my heart. I, I believe that the reason that restoration is not a, a popular doctrine that's preached is because it requires responsibility on the part of the one that's done wrong. And not only does it require responsibility, but it requires repentance on the part of the people of God. Now, restoration is a doctrine that is 
for the people of God. The word restore means to bring back to the former state. It means that there was a time when things were right, but then something came along to change that state, and so there must be restoration. Now here in the scriptures we know about what's being recorded here. We understand the context. We know the time frame and the time period in which the psalmist David here has recorded these words under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. We know and we're given the time and the heading of the psalm and the Bible said here in the heading that it is a a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in unto Bathsheba. And so we know that these are the events of 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. That part of the word of God that we don't like to read so much about, about the sin of David when God had anointed him and made him king over all the land of Israel. We read about David's runnings from Saul and how the grace of God and the providence of God protected him, spared him and brought him finally to the throne and his position of power. We read about all the great victories that God gave David and the people of God. We read about the victories that the people rejoiced in under the leadership and the guidance of David as king. But then we also are brought face to face with the reality that David was a man just like you and I are struggle with the flesh, just like you and I do and his uh, his sin, his transgression was recorded for us in the word of God. We begin to read and I don't ever I, I, I don't mean this disrespectful but in my Bible reading I come to that chapter and I read those words at the time when kings go forth to battle and in my spirit I just don't really want to read on about because I know what's fixing to be recorded. I know what's going to happen. What God was saying was that David should have been in his rightful place on the battlefield with his people leading them in the battle as he had in days gone by. But he got slack and he stayed behind. And the Bible said that he went up on the rooftop and he saw a woman bathe and he called for her and she came. We're critical oftentimes about Bathsheba. Let's say, why'd she come? Well, here's the king. And whatever he said would. She had no choice. She had to come. She had to respond. And so David, of course, we know, commits adultery with her. But it doesn't stop there as sin does. And so then he had to murder Uriah by his own hand to cover up the sin that he had committed. And then in the next chapter, we read about Nathan the prophet coming in and telling that story about the ewe lamb of the man that had one lamb and yet though he didn't have it it was his pet and he loved it and treated it well then that rich man that had so many but yet when the stranger come he would not take one of his own but he stole the one lamb that the man had and killed it and dressed it and David was wrong it's always easy to see everybody else's trouble it's easy to see everybody else's wrongdoing. And David got angry. He 
said, this man ought to die and he ought to have to restore fourfold of what he took. And Nathan pointed his finger in the king's face and said, thou art the man. You're the one that's done what I'm talking about. Often in our own lives we cover our sin. Often in our own lives we downplay our sin and think maybe it's not so bad. But when God, through the man of God and the word of God, brings us face to face with what we've done, it takes restoration from God to bring us back to the place we used to be. And so David in his brokenness, when Nathan the prophet brought him face to face with his sin, now I believe that before Nathan ever came, I believe that no doubt David probably felt bad about his sin. David probably laid awake in the bed at night and wondered why he did what he did. But David never failed about his sin like he did until the man of God came with the word from God. And it was after Nathan the prophet came that David began to pin these words and pray this prayer to God to clean him, to renew a right spirit within him, to purge him from his sin. And then he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Now I began to read and study this psalm and I read some things that some other men said and one thing that caught my attention is one of the writers said to notice the heading in Psalm 51 that the heading says to the chief musician. Now there are other psalms that David wrote that would say a prayer of David. There's one that is recorded, I believe, that said it is a prayer of David when he was in the cave, when he was running from Saul. So we know and understand that we have the copy of the Word of God. It's for our help. God inspired it and left it and preserved it in our generation. But as David was writing that prayer in the cave, it was a private time, a private thing between him and God. But here in Psalm 51, it does not say a prayer of David, but it says to the chief musician, David wanted this publicly to be acknowledged that God, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how bad it is, or no matter how hopeless it looks, that God is still in the restoration business. And so David says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. So the Lord began to deal with my heart about restoration. I want to say this morning that God's in the restoring business. God loves to restore His people. I began to think about in the Word of God the examples that are left to us about restoration. And I don't know. The Lord's not showed me. I don't know who's here this morning and needs to hear this, but I believe with all my heart the Lord's been dealing my heart for several days now to preach this morning on restoration. It may look hopeless in your life. It may look like the sun will never shine again. It may look like you've fallen and you can't get back up. But may I tell you this morning, child of God, God is in the restoring business. And if you need restoration, if you need restoring, I'm glad God can make you new again and restore you to the place that you used to be. I thought about here we are in this scripture. I believe that God writes about restoration of fellowship. 
David says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Now if we go to the book of 1 John chapter 1 and read, we find out that joy and fellowship are linked hand in hand. That without fellowship, there's no joy in the life of the people of God. We understand that when the people of God sin, when wrongdoing comes in our life, it is our fellowship, not our relationship, that is effective. We're always a child of God. We cannot lose that relationship, but we can lose the fellowship with God. And so in losing fellowship, we lose our joy. John said these things right out unto you that your joy might be full. What things was that? Well, John went on to say that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And truly our fellowship is with the Father. True joy comes in fellowship between God and the child of God. What David's praying for literally here in this verse, he's praying for his fellowship to be restored. He's praying for that relationship to be renewed, to be right again between him and God. Joy is cut off. Fellowship is cut off. And he's praying for God to restore to him the joy of his salvation. Many of the people of God in our day in 2022, they have lost the joy of their salvation. Their fellowship is broken. Now, I'm just going to preach this morning what God's put on my heart. If you'll pray for me, that He'll help me. But fellowship's been affected. Sins come, and we're living in a day, and it's no coincidence that the Sunday school lesson was what it was about the last days. And in the last days, we cover up sin, we downplay sin, we act like we compare ourselves to everybody else, and we say if they're okay, then I'm okay. But it ain't about whether they're okay or how nothing to do with anybody else but it's in your heart and your life you know whether or not there's fellowship you know whether or not there's joy and if there's not this morning there can be it can be restored again like it used to be people of God come in the house of God without any joy they come into the house of God without any fellowship and they sit down on the pew, and they go through the motions. I'm going to tell you the reason that many of the people of God, and many of the churches today, and I understand that not everything that has the word church on the outside is a church, but many of the churches today are in the shape they're in because fellowship's been broken in the hearts of the people of God, and we're in need of restoration. But in order to get that restoration, we have to take responsibility for where we are and what we've done and we must repent and pray again for God to make it like it used to be. Many people in our day hear the statement all the time, well it's just not like it used to be. Well it can be. Now, I understand what they mean by that. I understand the mindset behind it. And I'm not saying that everybody that says that's out of fellowship with God. I'm not saying that at all. But we have been sold the lie that we just have to be this way. And so that's why many of the people of God have no joy, have no fellowship. We believe it just has to be that way. But if the Word of God would pick our heart and shine as a mirror in our life, we'd realize it can be as it was again. There can be restoration of fellowship. 
Then I see in the Word of God, and I just got a few things I want to give to you this morning. If God help me. I see in the Word of God there's the restoration of the fallen. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1 said, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. There is provision in the word of God to restore a fallen brother. God is in the restoring business of fallen people of God in this day. And he chooses the people of God to work that restoration. Now you've got to look at the scripture now. The Bible said it is a sign of spirituality that you're able to restore a fallen brother. Now we're in a day where they measure spirituality by how loud the service gets. Or they measure spirituality by how many shout in the service or how many tears or how many people come to the altar, how much money is in the altar and how many people are in the building, how well are together the outlines put by the preacher, how loud he gets, how much he slobbers, how much intellect he can show. Well, there's all kinds in our day of measures of spirituality that the world has given to us. But God says if we are spiritual, we should be able to restore a fallen brother. And he says there's a spirit. It is a sign of spirituality. But we have to look at the scripture. Now I want you to hear me well this morning. The Bible said there's a spirit in which to restore this brother. And he said it is in the spirit of meekness. Not that we're looking for a pat on the back. Not that we're looking to be well known. Not that we're looking for people to brag on us. Not that we want to be seen. But that we care enough about our brother. That we would go to them and do whatever we can to help them in their time of need. But then there's also in this verse, and this is where I really want to deal with this part and then we'll go on. In this verse, there is self-examination that has to take place. There's spirituality. There's a spirit in which to do it. But then the Bible said when we restore them, we are to consider ourselves. Now if you look up the word consider, it means to fasten your eye on. So what that means is the whole time that we're in this method, the whole time that we are carrying out this spiritual thing, the whole time that we're allowing God to use us and to help restore a brother, we're not looking at them, we're not looking at what they've done. It doesn't, shouldn't matter to us what they've done. I don't mean that, that we shouldn't care, but it shouldn't, it doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter where they've been. That's not our focus. Our focus is on the shelf. You say that sounds selfish. That's not the spirit in which it was written, it said, consider myself, lest I also be tempted. Or in other words, Paul is writing the church at Galatia and he says, while you're restoring this brother, your whole focus should be on it could be me that's in this shape. And I'd want somebody to help restore me if this was me. So that's the self-examination. If this was me, I would want somebody to help me if this was me, we're living in a day, I'm telling you, it's prevalent. And I, 
I'm just trying to preach this morning and give you what's on my heart. I know it's not popular. It's not popular in this day, this thing of restoration. And it's especially not popular even among the fundamental Bible-believing crowds that we know and love. Because I'm telling you, we are so critical of the people of God. There's such a critical spirit in these last days among the people of God that we'd rather kick them out of the circle than be spiritual and restore them to fellowship among I'm going to tell you why. Now, I didn't know I was going to say all this, but I feel it in my heart to say. I'm going to tell you why they don't want to restore is they're afraid of what people will think about them. It's not that they worry so much about what the person's done. They're not worried about that. They're worried about what the brethren will say if they restore that brethren in fellowship, if they receive them back in again. But I'm telling you, according to the word of God, if they're repentant. Now, we're not to go after somebody and drag them in without them having a repentant spirit. If they have repented to God, then it is our duty, our obligation, as spiritual people to restore that brother or sister to fellowship. It's not that we're condoning their sin. Their sin has nothing to do with it. That's all that it's not between us and them anyway. It's between them and God. And if God will forgive them, and if God will restore them, who are we to deny them restoration in the family of God? Many people have been hurt and they've left the church and never come back. Because they could get rest restored and forgiveness from God, but they could not get restoration and forgiveness from the brethren. And it's a shame and a disgrace in these days that we live in that we take the verse and we skew it. Oh, we're considering ourselves, but we're not considering us in the light that it could be us in the shape that they're in. But we're considering too much about what everybody else thinks about us. What if we embrace them back into fellowship again with what they've done? What if we're too much like the elder brother of the prodigal that came home? He did not focus on what the brother had done. He did not focus on restoration. He did not. I understand he mentioned what the brother had done, but that wasn't his focus. His focus was on the fact of what he had done. He said, this thy son, he wouldn't even call him his brother. Go home and read the scripture. He would not even call him his brother. He said, this thy son has devoured thy living with harlots. And he said, you killed the fatted calf for him. And you've caused all this celebration. He said, in all these years, I've been in the field. All these days I've served you. I've never left your side. I've always been up when the rooster crowed. I've always been first in the field. I've always been the last to come home. I've always been faithful. And you've not killed me a fatty calf, but you've killed one for him. What that elder brother was saying is, how could you embrace him back in the family again? Now I'm going to be honest with you. If any of us have ever been astray... I'm going to tell you what the biggest problem of many of the people of God in this day is, is we forgot about the days that we were astray. We forgot about the time we were in the hog pen and we were in the far country. We forgot how it felt and to feel like we did not deserve to be a child of God. And we did not deserve to be called by His name. And we did not deserve to sit at His table. And we just wanted to be a servant and that's all we wanted to be. And we have forgotten about the fact that that's the way they feel and that's the way we felt and thank God 
God for those that received us. How about we do the same for our brothers and sisters? I'm not preaching this morning about condoning sin. That's not what the Bible's saying. But that's between them and God. If they have shown evidence that they have been convicted, that they have repented, that God has forgiven them. That's not for us to know. But there will be fruit. They will have a broken heart and a contract spirit. They won't demand restoration. But they'll plead for it. And if we're spiritual, we are supposed to be in the business of restoring the fallen. But we live in a day, and I honestly didn't know I was going to spend this much time and deal with all this this morning, but the Lord knew what He's doing. We live in a day where we glory in the fall of a brother. Here we are reading this morning about David. And if anybody had anything to glory in the fall of a comrade, it would have been David. He should have been able to glory in the day that Saul died. I mean, Saul pursued his life. Saul was after him. David said, there's one step between me and death. There were days David never slept. At times he never felt like he was loved. He wrote, I looked on my left hand, on my right hand. No man cared for my soul. He couldn't find anybody. If anybody could glory in the fact that a brother had fallen, it ought to be David. But the Bible said, when the messenger came and said, Saul had that had been killed in battle but David didn't glory David didn't rejoice but he lifted up his voice and wept and lamented and said how are the mighty fallen yeah. we live in a day Lord help us this morning the church of God has become a competition instead of a cooperation we feel like we're competing preachers feel like they're competing I've been in services. I've been in meetings and you could feel the air and the atmosphere like there's preaching to preach again and preaching to be the best preacher in the building. I'm going to tell you something. I'm nothing without God. And I know that this morning. I don't deserve to stand behind this desk. I don't deserve to carry the Word of God. I don't deserve to be your pastor. They're far better qualified, far better at the position than I am. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And that's what you are this morning. I'm not going in my past. I'm going in where God brought me from. And if it was not for the grace of God, I would be where many today and so would you but somehow or another in these days we fail to remember that that if it wasn't for the grace of God we would be the ones pleading to be restored we would be the ones standing on the outside hoping and praying to be loved again by our brothers and sisters the Bible said brethren if a man be overtaken in a fall ye which are spiritual restore such an one in the spirit of meekness consider thyself lest thou also be tempted so God's in the business of restoring the fallen then I thought about and the Lord put on my heart that God's in the business. If you're here this morning, see, restoration is not just a needed thing because sin has come. It's not always, you needing to be restored this morning is not always an evidence of sin in your life. Sometimes it may be the storms that have brought you down to the bottom and you need God to restore you again. And so I'm glad this morning according to the Word of God, He is in the restoring business of the faint. Paul went on to say, be not weary in well-doing. 
If there was not a possibility to be weary, the Holy Ghost would have never instructed Paul to write in there to not be weary. But there is a great possibility it is up there. If we'd all be honest this morning, it is a very easy thing at times to become weary in well-doing. Heard many preachers stand and say, and it's very accurate, that it's not about being tired of the way. That's not what the Bible's talking about. I'm not tired of the way. I'm glad to be in this way, but there are many days that I've become tired in the way. That I've been found faint in well-doing. And that my spirit has become weary. I'm glad it was David that recorded in Psalm 23, that well-known psalm, that he restored my soul. That's when you're weak, when you're weary, when you're worn, when you're wounded. Oh, the list could go on and on. That many of the people in God in this day are worn out. That's why the writer said, wrote the song farther on, still go farther. The verse said, oh my brother, are you weary of the roughness of the way? Does your strength begin to fail you and your vigor to decay? That those are not the same words. If you study strength and vigor, it's not the same thing. But strength is physical power, the ability to go on. But vigor is enthusiasm, it's excitement. Strength has to do with the body. Vigor has to do with the mind and the spirit. And sometimes in our life, our vigor decays. We get low. Heard Preacher Milby sing the song countless times when I'm low in the spirit. I cry, Lord, lift me up. So what's that song we're talking about? He's talking about restoration. When God comes to where we are and lifts us up out of the low places of our life. But when we feel like we're on the bottom like the widow at Zarephath, when we feel like we're on in the cave like Elijah, when we feel like we're the only one serving like Jeremiah, and when we feel like we've been thrown to the lines like Daniel, and the, word, the list could go on and on and on again, feel like Paul, and when he said, all men forsook me, no man stood by me. I'm glad in those hours Paul said, notwithstanding the Lord stood by me. He's in the restoring business of your soul this morning. If you're faint, oh, there have been days I've come into the house of God and so have you and felt like I was on the bottom. Felt like I was so weary. I'm not, I'm not talking about having sympathy this morning or a pity party, but it's the reality of our life. There have been days I felt like I couldn't put one foot in front of the other. Not necessarily physically. There have been them days. But I'm talking about spiritually. In my spirit, I felt like Jeremiah did. I'm going to throw in the towel and I'm going to give up. Felt like Elijah. I'm the only one doing anything and everybody else is gone. I might as well be gone too. That's how we all feel from time to time. And it's at those points and those times and hours in our life that God is in the business of restoration. If you're here this morning and you're weak and you're weary and you're worn, He's in the business of restoring your soul. If your soul needs to be 
restored. If your vigor needs to be encouraged, if you need some enthusiasm put back in you, if you need some excitement about the things of God put back in you, I thought about here we are, we've closed out one year and entered into a new one. Many people are going to make resolutions and they say that we're going to spend more time in the Bible, we're going to pray more. Oh, that's fine and well, but it won't last long if your vigor's gone. You need some restoration in your spirit this morning. I'm going to tell you, He's in the business of restoring the faint. But then I want to say this morning, I thought maybe that would be all that the Lord would have for me to preach on. And I really wasn't searching and looking for anything else. But the Lord brought a familiar passage of Scripture, at least the story, in its context to me and let me see a verse in light I'd never seen before. I want to say this morning that He's in the business of restoring the family. He's in the business of restoring the family. No matter how hope... Now you can take that for whatever you need to take it for. However the Holy Ghost speaks it to your heart this morning. It doesn't necessarily mean that a marriage is on the rocks and about to be broken up. It could be that there are children astray. It could be that there are children that you don't know about. It could be that there are things beyond your control and you just need God at a word that things maybe are not like you'd like for them to be like they once were. I'm telling you this morning, God is in the business of restoring the family. I got to reading in the book of Ruth. And we all know the story well. And it's hard to mention anything from Ruth without going through the whole book. We know the story well about how the famine came in Bethlehem, Judah. There was a man named Elimelech and he had a wife named Naomi and they had two sons, Malon and Kilion. And they decided they would go to Moab and sojourn there. And that word sojourn means to, to be a stranger. They never intended to stay there, but they did stay and they stayed long enough that Elimelech died. And then Malon and Kilion, they took wives, Orpah and Ruth, and then they died. And so now it's just Naomi, the widow, left with two widow daughters-in-law. And customary in that day, they were without hope. They were without help. They did not have a man. They did not have a provider. And so the Bible said that somehow or another, Naomi got word that there was bread again in Bethlehem. And so she decides to go back. And Orpah and Ruth get up and they start to go back with her and she turns and this is what she says. Now, I'm preaching this morning that he's able to restore the family even if the situation looks hopeless. Naomi turned to them and she told them in more or less words that there's no hope left for their family. She said, I don't have a husband. And she said, if I did have one and could give a son tonight, would you wait for him until he's grown? She said, it's hopeless for our family. It will never be the same again. And so she says, turn back to your people. And Orpah kisses her and turns back to go back to Moab. But Ruth says, Entreat me not to leave thee. And she cleaves to her and goes back to Bethlehem. Now Naomi's mind is still hopeless. She walks into the city. They said, Is this Naomi? She said, Call me not Naomi, which means pleasantness. She said, Call me now, which means bitterness. She said, For the Lord... I went away full and the Lord brought me back again empty. 
She said, my husband is down there buried in Moab. My boys are in Moab and it's hopeless. My family will never be the same again. There's no hope for restoration for us. Naomi, Ruth must be, I mean, Naomi must be older in years and Ruth says, let me go. She volunteers, let me go and glean so we can have something to eat. And she goes and the Bible says her hap is to lie on a portion of the field belonging to Boaz. And we all know about him and all the details. And that word hap does not mean just chance. It means divine providence of God. It was all in the sovereign plan of God for Ruth to find herself in the field of Boaz. Boaz is a type of Christ. Ruth is a type of us, the church. And she found favor. He loved her. His eye was attracted to her. And then, of course, we all know the story of that Naomi, she come back with that, uh, uh, her veil full of that ether of barley. And she, uh, Naomi said, don't go to another field, stay, do whatever he says. Of course, he was the kinsman redeemer. There was one nearer kin than him, which was a type of the law, but he could not redeem. And so Boaz bought Ruth and he married her. And Ruth chapter 4 said, And Boaz went in unto Ruth, and she conceived. And they brought, and she brought forth a son. Now I don't want to misquote it. I don't think I can quote it word for word, but I want you to hear what the Word of God has to say this morning about the Lord being in the restoring business for the family. Now it's still in the mind of Naomi. It's still a hopeless situation. But Ruth chapter 4, verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and he went in unto her. The Lord gave her conception. She bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord. Now they're not saying this to Ruth. They're saying this to Naomi. Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. That is Boaz. That his name may be famous in Israel. And he, now this is not talking about Boaz anymore. This is talking about the boy, the son Obed, and he shall be unto thee. Ruth chapter 4 and verse 15. If you go home, if you're marking your Bible, you ought to go home and underline it. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life. And a nurser of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons have borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is born to Naomi. They didn't say nothing about it being born to Ruth. They said, There is born to Naomi. Uh, there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So what happened that day is even though it really looked hopeless and just a little while ago, a few chapters ago, Naomi's saying, I'll never have another husband. I'll never have another son. It'll never be the same again. It's hopeless. It's beyond help with me. And now the women of the city are saying, Naomi has a son. And he is the restorer of life. You say, what happened? God restored the family. That's what He did. In a hopeless situation when there could be no husband, when there could be no sons, when there could be nothing happen any good, when everything looked like it could never be the same again, God restored the family. Now I'm going to tell you in these days, I know it's dark days, and I know, and like I said, it doesn't necessarily 
The Holy Ghost can speak to your heart however He needs to in this part of the message. It may be about a marriage. It may be about a son. It may be about a daughter. It may not be about your marriage. It may be about a marriage of a son or a daughter. Whatever it may be, God is in the business of restoring the family. It doesn't matter how hopeless it looks. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. It may be the fact that maybe some of your family, maybe a child, maybe a daughter, maybe a son, maybe they're not in the house of God, maybe they're not saved. I'm going to tell you this morning, it may look hopeless. It may look like there is no help. God is still in the business of restoring the family. He did it for Naomi. He can do it for you. David prayed, and I'm done this morning. David prayed, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You may need to be restored this morning. It may not necessarily be because of sin. But maybe it's a storm of your life. Maybe it's the circumstances that surround you. Maybe it's where you find yourself this morning sitting like Job in ashes and sackcloth at the bottom and everything seems like it's falling apart. Maybe you're low in spirit this morning as the writer of the song wrote. Maybe you feel like there's no hope or no hope for you. Maybe you feel like things will never be the same again. Maybe you're like that sheep as David was and you just need God to restore your soul, your vigor, your excitement, your enthusiasm. It's not what it once was. And you need restoration. Maybe there's somebody in your family, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a grandchild, a niece, and whoever it may be, and they need some help. Your family needs some help this morning. God is in the restoring business. He can help you. As we stand all over the house this morning, if the Lord has spoke to your heart, if you need to come this morning, if you need to talk to the Lord, nobody is... It's just us this morning. God is speaking to your heart. And He's wanting to help you. He is in... They're restoring business. He wants to restore your soul. 